So I, uh, right as we started this episode, decided to go down a little rabbit hole because I was wondering why um, Jedzia Dax got written off the show. She was pregnant, right? Oh, that was not the story I got. So oh, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. So it, at least what what I read was that well, for one, she had gotten offered a role on uh, on another show, a a sitcom called Becker, that apparently had Ted Danson in it. That's where Kim knew her from when we started watching. She's like, oh, really? oh, yeah, I remember recognized her from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so she had been offered a role on that, and at one point there was a question of if she could just be in less episodes of Star Trek and sort of do them both or kind of have a decreased role. But apparently there was, related to that, and then just in general, there was apparently not a good relationship between her and Rick Berman was what I was reading. And so mm. this was kind of the, the nail in the coffin with that. And so they decided to, to kill her off at the end of season six and uh, and write her off the show. That's a shame. I am... Um... I really like the, the that's that's she's like by far my favorite part of DS9 at this point anyway. Yeah, yeah Terry Farrell is very very good. Um, as part of researching that, I also found out that apparently she is married to Adam Nimoy, who is Leonard Nimoy's son. Nice. Yeah, fun little tidbit of effect there. That, that almost is like a bit like that's that's your identity. But I, I wish them, I wish the, the I hope that they live long and prosper. Uh, well, your silence speaks everything that well, that joke. No, I thought, to. I thought you were gonna. I thought that was gonna be our lead into the, into the, uh, okay. into the theme. <laughs> All right. I need to find a new kazoo because I think my kids. <laughs> yes, he still stole still their kazooless. Yeah. Or we uh, could just start start toying with other instruments. Yeah. Um, I have I have a piano nearby. I could probably try to play it on the piano. Yeah. Uh, hi everybody and welcome to Out of Contracts, the show where two guys who have seen part of Star Trek try to watch all of it in no particular order. Uh, I'm Ryan Howard and I'm Brady Jungle. And uh, I feel like I have to say this every now and then, just in case you're coming in new. Uh, we use a random number generator to watch any episode of Star Trek uh, from any of the seasons and any of the series, and we talk about it. Um, and so this time we are talking about uh, Deep Space Nine, uh, Season 7, Episode 3, which is called After Image. Now, uh, can I tell you something quick about uh, Memory Alpha, the Star Trek wiki, before we actually start this? Yeah. Um, I was looking over on the, the After Image page, and you know it says it's ri- written by uh, Rene uh, Echevarria, which I definitely recognize that name. That person has written for multiple episodes of the show before. Yeah, and direct, directed by Les Lando, but I was kind of like just idly clicking, and I accidentally clicked on the air date, which is so you can click on 1998 or you can click on 14 October, and I clicked on 14 okay. October, and you know we've talked about Memory Alpha before and how like they have some kind of truly wild entries uh, in terms of like money, and it was like this it, it explains what money is, you know, uh, right. right. So I clicked on 14th of October, and it tells me all events that occurred on any 14th of October in the production of a Star Trek anything. So not in production, just like 1943, October 14th, Diane Thorne is born. Who is Diane Thorne? She played the first Iotian girl of the Star Trek original series second season episode, A Piece of the Action. (laughs) So, uh, 
So there's a bunch of different birthdays on here. And then, like, in 66, there's, like, it's the fourth day of filming on the original series, The Menagerie Part 1 and Part 2. And the final draft script for Shore Leave is submitted. And the first draft teleplay for The Alternative Factor is submitted. And you skip forward to, let's see, um, you, you skip forward to, like, say, 1983. And it's the 44th day of filming on Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. But also, Paul Fix dies. Who's Paul Fix? He's just a guy who's in one of the episodes of the original series. Just like a dude. <laughs> wow. Oh, the internet. It's magical. Yes. Also, because I'm now scrolling down through the same page, I cannot wait until we get to watch the Deep Space Nine episode, The Magnificent Ferengi. <laughs> yeah, that does sound pretty great. <laughs> so that that was the fourth day of filming uh, on October 14, 1997. Now we're a year later, a year after the fourth day of filming of The Magnificent Ferengi, we have the airing of Deep Space Nine After Image and also Voyager Night. Uh, so this is at a time when uh, there were two different shows on the air. Although I will say it's it's also we're kind of we're getting close to like approaching like that period of Star Trek saturation again because uh, you know we've got the Picard show and we have uh, Discovery and you know we've got Lower Decks coming out later this year and then I believe I just heard that they like have greenlit like a couple other shows on All Access so it's it's uh, really? yeah it's it's really expanding outward again for some for some reason not that I'm not that I'm complaining um, but I think they're gonna do like a Section Thirty Four show which is um, about like basically like the the Starfleet CIA. Which I which I was rewatching um, one of I think Into Darkness the other day and I and they mentioned they just kind of very obliquely re- mentioned like Section Thirty Four like that something was going on so I was like oh that's interesting that they huh. I don't think that that was a thing in the original series but it is in the original series reboot uh, movies so yeah apparently there's a real clamoring for for Star Trek right now yeah but I'm I'm on board with it I that's that's kind of that's Star Trek is really my I try not to. I don't. I don't like f- fandoms. I don't like being like a fanboy or involved in fandoms, really. But like to the degree that I am a fan of like different genre stuff, I would say Star Trek is kind of my my thing right now. After yeah. or after all the Star Wars brouhaha the last few years has kind of tired me out. But that's fair. Uh, so the uh, the synopsis for this episode on Memory Alpha is. Esri Dax has trouble adjusting with the rest of the crew. Garrick inexplicably collapses, which is <laughs> not false. Uh, the, the, yep, that's those are things that happen in this episode. Well, I mean, it's not false in the sense that uh, there is a Cardassian that uh, does collapse. As as usual, you could tell me that that, that character's name was <laughs> anything, true. and I would believe you because uh, I never can retain it, nor can I tell any. Uh, Cardassians apart from each other, but still working on it. I, I mean, I I just assume contextually that this is like the Cardassian that that they're talking about the Cardassian Cardassian that collapses. Yeah. So uh, I think I mentioned in the last episode that this episode is kind of a little parallel to me to the last episode we did to Day of Honor, the Voyager episode, and the reason for that is that it is kind of an episode. It's the it's the third episode of a season, and it is mostly about. Uh, a new female character, like new female main cast member, like kind of being on the show and kind of like getting used to sort of introducing you to that character's like status quo on the show. So obviously like there was a lot of Taurus stuff in the last episode, but like also there's seven or nine and you, she gets assigned to engineering and that's kind of where she ends up being for the rest of the show, 
more or less. And this is kind of like, all right, well, we have this new character, Ezri Dax, who, you know, we saw, we, we've seen uh, the end of season six on the R show before where, where Jadzia Dax, um, Terry Farrell's character dies. Yeah. And so this is her, she's a trill. So her symbiotic inner person um, has, is then melded onto a new uh, humanoid host whose name is Ezri Dax, who is played by Nicole DeBoer. And uh, we've not seen an Ezri Dax episode for a bit, I don't think. Um, I, yeah, I think I think the first episode we ever watched, she made an appearance in it, like she was sitting and talking to Worf about something. And mm-hmm. I don't even like I, I don't even know if we really appreciated like who she was at the time. <laughs> yeah, because I think that's like in the first episode of our show that we that we saw. Yeah, it was the was the very late season seven one. Yeah, I I did think as we were watching this one that I'm I'm glad that we that we happen to see the final episode of season six when Jedzia Dax does die. Cause as much as we've like done episodes where we have no idea what's going on, I feel like this would particularly be one where it would just be completely impossible to understand what was going on. Like, I don't even know if like with context clues, you'd be able to figure out what happened. I think you say that because I mean, maybe it is just that I, I do have more, I have more contracts now than I did at one point, but that's the name of the show (laughs) i felt like this is like one of the more understandable late period episodes we've seen because it is mostly a standalone episode about her like there's a little bit of dominion war stuff in it but it's mostly just kind of about like here's this new character and she's got to get used to the ship and decide where she wants to stay and like and she stays at the end yeah but i feel like all of the conversations she has and maybe maybe on watching it like it specifically looking for this or not, maybe they do explain it better than I think, but I feel like if you don't kind of know in the back of your mind, like, what her deal is and who Jadzia was, all of the things she was saying would just be kind of nonsense. That she's, like, talking about other people's memories, and then, like, Cisco calls her old man for some reason, and... Right. <laughs> right. But maybe, this is always one of those things that I wonder that, and I think we'll have opportunities to see on this is to what degree when you're doing a serialized thing like this do you have to put in exposition for things that you would know if you watch the show but do you always have to make it able to be followed by someone who's picking this episode as the first thing they're watching yeah that's interesting i i didn't really feel like it was too confusing but yeah you're right i mean i i do know more about the show now than when we started doing yeah. this a year ago like so. i feel like even if you didn't know that Jedzia Dax had just died. I feel like it would take you a long time to figure out that that's who this is. Mm. Um, but maybe not. So I think the thing that really struck me the most about this episode is that Nicole DeBoer, which is I, which I don't think we could have known when we watched the first episode, she, it, at least in this episode, maybe she doesn't, maybe she stops later on in the, in the season, but in this episode, it seemed to me like she was doing a pretty good, I would say, impression of terry farrell um did you feel that way yeah well so what i what i felt is it very much depended on the scene but i felt that that was done in a good way that in bits where she was kind of in her comfort zone so when she was around cisco especially and she had sort of she was you could tell she was comfortable and that the character was comfortable and was kind of confident in that situation she did very much have a lot of the the mannerisms and the the tone and just that that same degree of kind of confidence that 
that Terry Farrell's Jedzia decks always had. Um, yeah, the way she says um, Benjamin in yeah. when she's talking to him is like it's the exact same cadence. And some of like the the looks she gives people and that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I thought we're yeah, she does a very good good job of being the same person but in a different person's body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then some of the other scenes where she's she seems kind of more skittish and frightened or unsure of herself. Um, she very much seemed like a a different character and more of like a new a new person, mm-hmm. which I think was. I would like to think was like intentional that, that you could kind of tell how how comfortable she was in the situation by how much like herself she was able to be. Yeah, I thought I thought her performance was pretty good. I, yeah. I uh, with with like one one or two exceptions, which is I think is more of a writing issue than a performance issue. Yeah. But uh, we'll we'll get there. Why don't you tell us uh, what's going on? So yeah, so the the overarching plot of of the show is she has just come to Deep Space Nine for the first time. And we, she kind of goes from character to character, and we see how all of the different regular cast members respond to to meeting her. And so some of them just kind of accept her as, like, understanding what's going on here. You know, obviously, Cisco has been through this once before because he knew Curzon Dax, who was the, the host that Dax had before Jedzia. And so... Right. He kind of seems to treat her exactly the same. Like, this is still his old friend. His old friend's been in a different body before and is just in a different body again now. Various other characters are just kind of, like, slightly awkward around her. Um, the most notable one is is Worf, who was... And I don't know if I realized they were married. I knew they, like, were a thing. But, but apparently was married to Jedzia Dax. I know they talk about that in the episode where she dies, because that's why... Uh... Bashir and Quark go to that lounge center yeah. hollow suite. Yeah, the uh, the Tony Bennett, the Tony not Tony Bennett. Bennett. Yeah, not Tony yeah. Bennett. Right. In this episode, I described Worf as a real poopy pants, is what I wrote down <laughs> in my notes. Yeah, I will say like that part of the storyline, they kind of touched on. I feel like an interesting part of it because it started out as just like, oh, like Worf's being real mean to her because he's just angry that she died and doesn't feel like she's the same person but then when they kind of talk to him about it a couple times and they don't go real deep into this but it's that it's much more of a because of how it interacts with his core beliefs more of like his cultural identity in that because you know his belief is that when Jedzia died because he says like Jedzia died and went to Stovacor which is sort of the Klingon Valhalla afterlife yeah this kind of halls of glory type of thing and he talks another time about honoring her memory after she's gone. And it's these very kind of almost like a religious thing to him is that this is what happens when somebody dies. And that's what allowed him to process her death is that kind of going through these Klingon set of beliefs and kind of understanding how to honor her memory in that. And then when he's faced with, oh, there's another person here that has her memories. And does that mean that she's not really dead and she's not really in Stovacor, or does that mean that, but this isn't her? And so I think there's more of a, like, crisis of belief that this causes in him that is touched on, but but usually is more just kind of comes out as Worf is very angry and rude. And you don't see as much of what that... <laughs> I, I, guess I wouldn't say that you're reading more into it than it's there, but I think that you're, 
you're taking some kind of connective steps that I don't think the the show necessarily is taking. Yeah, I may I may be being being generous, I suppose. No, but I th- I think you're I think you might be right. I just think that like you maybe just explained it in a more nuanced way than the show did. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, and I think it it was like a, a thing that that made me. There were a few things that he said that made me kind of think along those lines. But yeah, I do wish that they had. I think it would have been an interesting thing for them to explore more that they didn't really. Um, so she is, and apparently in in her new body, instead of being Jedzia Dex was the science officer on Deep Space Nine, yeah. And what Ezri Dax is, she's a she's a deputy counselor for Starfleet, and so she's, she's an ensign at the start. Yeah, she is, and kind of through conversations with Cisco, you find out she's going to go be a counselor on another Starfleet ship because she doesn't want to stay on Deep Space Nine. There's too many bad memories. She doesn't want to deal with whatever's going on between her and Worf, especially. And yeah. so she's saying, you know, when this ship leaves, she's going to be on that ship being their counselor. And then meanwhile, there is this Cardassian on Deep Space Nine named Garrick. Who well, I know, I know we have to have just contextually we have to have seen him before. Like I'm sure he's he's been, just like one of the around, guys who's yeah. helping them out sometimes. But again, I just they, it's so it's so hard for me to tell. Yeah, I think he's even in season one once or twice. But basically, he's like the tailor. It's this sort of thing where his official job on Deep Space Nine is that like oh he's just a tailor and he's just like this guy that like but then every now and then he'll like. Garrick's just he's a guy, you know. He's just this guy, you know. That's <laughs> that is that's a for, uh, that's a for reference no one. that I don't know if any of the audience will get. I know you would get. I'm glad that you and I did. He's just this guy, you know. Oh man, uh, I'm glad we're friends, Ryan. I just uh, I was I was playing uh, uh, Pokemon today, and I had to have pick a number. For like my uniform, and I picked forty-two. Uh, so, <laughs> so anyways, so Garrick is, you know, he's always just like, oh well, I'm just a simple tailor. But then he also like, he just kind of happens to have heard some things, and it's it's kind of apparent that he's he's sort of like this very, he's got this kind of shady past, and he like works as this spy that doesn't really want to take sides, but is helping Starfleet. And I think as as it goes on, he becomes. In this episode, he's very much, because this is in the middle of the war between the Federation and the Dominion and the Cardassians, that he's trying to help the Federation because he believes that if the Dominion's driven off, then Cardassia can be, you know, the Cardassians can be essentially, like, freed and not be controlled by the Dominion anymore. He, like is helping them like break codes that it sounds like he said he he like made some of these code algorithms when he was with the Cardassians. Yeah, I think he does say that at some point. Yeah. And so what he's what he's doing for them is he's they're intercepting transmissions and because he used to be it sounds like he used to be in like essentially Cardassian intelligence. I forget what they call their like secret organization, but he used to be part of that and now is working against the Cardassians. But he has these series of essentially panic attacks where he feels very claustrophobic and he can't breathe and has to be taken to sick bay and he these kind of keep happening. So because Ezri Dax is a counselor, they assign her to talk to him and help him sort through kind of why this is happening and how how he can get better. 
and those so those are kind of like the a plot and the b plot and then i'd say there is a c plot too which is that uh bashir and quark are kind of like well we struck out with jazzia but maybe we can like come back around uh with esri now now yeah. that she's not married to Orf anymore and so what did you what did you I, 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 what did you think of like this stuff? Because I actually was I think surprisingly like more charitable toward it than I think I may have otherwise been inclined to be in previous you know episodes. I kind of did not mind this. I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you why in a second. But I'm just I'm okay. curious like what you, I was what not you a thought. fan of it. I I mean I feel like I've never been a fan of the like Bashir and Quirk trying to hit on Jadzia Dax. Yeah. Um and and maybe it's just because I I yeah, I don't know. Or just like anybody hitting on Jadzia Dex really, I feel. Because because she's like such a like cool character just in her own right as a character that I feel like that any time she just like becomes the like oh, and she's the attractive female that yeah. all the men are trying to get with because she's an attractive female, like that just takes away from her as a character. I don't know. That's always my opinion, but I agree with that, and I and I and I kind of also like will additionally say that I always kind of find Bashir to be kind of sweaty and weird. I'm not, I'm not a Bashir fan. But uh, that being said, though, I think the reason why I didn't mind this as much is because of that conversation that he and Quark have in the bar, where there was something I thought actually was like a little bit sweet about it because it explicitly now now obviously like um, Nicole DeBoer she she is. Also a very uh, beautiful woman, like like Terry Farrell. But I think that like the conversation that it's framed in this this way where they're kind of like, hey, like it's not Jadzia anymore, but it's still it's still Dax, and so it almost it almost is like they're kind of explicitly not interested in her because of her looks. Like they they're they're more interested in like the weird, gross, trill thing that lives inside of her. Like so, that it is like this thing of like, oh, like these two, they actually were attracted to her for. For her yeah, personality, a, like I didn't think about it that way, but that is an interesting. And uh, yeah, like so, I, I was kind of like, oh, like that actually makes me like it a little bit more. Is that it was because like I think you know, I, you know, having just recently watched like the pilot of of DS Nine, like Bashir sees her and like immediately starts hitting on her, and it's like, gross, dude, leave her alone. And for it to be like this thing where he's actually like, oh, well, I just I really liked Jadzia Dex, and like if I can still be with like. Dax, like that that still is something that like i'm interested in yeah you know possibly doing and um i liked that and then also like i liked how wharf was mad about it and at first you're kind of like this is a very like stupid kind of bro thing for wharf to do to be like i'm not gonna yeah like she's treat my her woman, nicely also i don't want her anyways but, right? right but then you find out that actually the reason why he's mad is because he's like you guys are treating her like she is the same person and she's not. And so, and so like you are basically like pretending like Jadzia never died and you're dishonoring her memory, but she did yeah. die. This is not the same person. And so that's actually like, I think kind of a, I think I'm talking myself into liking this episode a little bit more actually <laughs> when we're talking about this, but like, I, I that's yeah. like kind of like this weirdly like nuanced kind of trill thing to like play around with, I think in a way that, that I think could have been kind of much more simplistic and worse. And I think both of those like approaches to it are like, interesting yeah. and also i think like a little bit more thoughtful rather than like physical or emotional you know like uh so i did not mind that that aspect of it at all this in this episode yeah so then there's there's a couple of different 
essentially like therapy sessions between uh, Ezri Dax and Garrick, the Cardassian, where it kind of quickly becomes apparent that these are more therapeutic for Ezri than they are for Garrick. And Garrick just kind of has this like bemused look on his face of just like, you're not a very good counselor at all. I agree. Yeah, because she just kind of comes in and starts talking about all of her own problems and issues that she's going through. That scene really bothered me when she's like talking about, oh, that's like, I get space sick because of uh, Tarias. And yeah. then like later on, he's like, well, what father wouldn't discipline their children? She's like, Tobin. And it's like, that's, that's, <laughs> this is not about you, dude. Yeah. Like, that's. And I, I feel like this, I don't know. It, we can go ahead and get into this was the main issue I had, like, just story-wise with this episode, is she seems like this is something that she hasn't gone through before eight other times. Right. right? Yes, like, it seems like it's like this like crazy new experience that like suddenly she like has to deal with the memories of all these people that get these past lives that have died. I feel like you would think that by the time she's done this this many times, she's like, used to going through this and it would be more her having to deal with other people's reactions to her. Unless this is part of the process for Trill, that like it's more having to do with the host having to go through that. But even then, you would think that if this is the whole basis of how their race works, that they would have like a process, like someone to help her go through this instead of just sending her off to yeah. st- like she would stay on Trill and work through these things before. Like clearly, she's not ready to be back in this type of society yet whether it's like her individually or like something that's normal for for people going through this like she is not ready yet like she still has stuff to work through that you kind of wonder why she didn't work through before they let her come you would think that if the trill know that someone's going to go through this every time they're joined they would have like a little like retreat that you would go on and have a coach that takes you through this and kind of ease your way back into it well, there's a, there's a season one DS9 episode that I watched recently that is, the premise of it is basically that Curzon Dax was acu- is accused of murder, and so this guy comes to DS- Deep Space Nine and tries to basically get Jadzia uh, extradited to this planet to pay for Curzon's crimes. <laughs> and I, I don't want to go into like the whole thing, because we will eventually watch it, but... But basically, it's all that to say is that like that's like a really like a big deep dive episode on like here's what all the trills like deal is, and they do like you know make a very like clear distinction in that episode that like they are different people, and so mm-hmm. like the symbiote that merges with the host, you know, so the symbiote still has like the memories and stuff, and there's some of its personality, but its personality fuses with the host to create like a new personality. So, like, I, I kind of buy that, like, where it's, like, Dax should be used to this, but, like, Ezri is not necessarily used to it. And so I, I kind of, that to me, that was, like, kind of, like, the Ezri factor kind of, like, being yeah, born out there. that's fair. Uh, that episode, that's an interesting episode, though, that the murder, the murder trial one. But it's a classic uh, a Star Trek court episode where they have to, like, go talk right. to a judge and... I, I I do enjoy those always. We've had yeah. I guess we've only had one so far, but but those they do kind of always all blur together for me. But I I do always like those ones. Like there's the, the data one, one or two with data. Yeah. Um, the judge in that episode, she has um a gavel, but it's like just a big 
it's just a big stone ball that she just bangs instead of like having a hammer or whatever. But I thought it was interesting that like apparently, apparently like all court systems like you know Bajoran are human. They need to have gavels. You have to like which I guess get something sense, to make you know, noise. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't know. I, I I was able to forgive it to a degree, but I just think that like that scene where she's just kind of like going on and on. It is like this thing of like, you're not doing a good job at your job. Like that's, you know, that's, that's yeah, the problem right. to me. It wasn't, it wasn't that she was flustered. It was just that like, you're not giving, you're not helping this yeah. man. And uh, it's not even one of those things where like it's done under, she actually is helping, you know, cause sometimes you'll see those, those sorts of things narratively where like, at first the person's confused, like, well, why are you just talking about yourself and your own problems? And then it turns out that this was actually all to help me work through my issues anyways. Right. But like, she's not doing that. She is actually just, just talking about herself. Yeah. But yeah. And there's one or two of those scenes and eventually he just tells her straight up, you're a terrible therapist and you're not helping me at all. Leave me alone. Yeah. And then that I think is one of the things that drives her to go to Cisco and say, that she can't do this, she's just going to resign from Starfleet altogether and, and go back to Trill, because she can't deal with being in this place with all these people that knew her in her past life. Mm-hmm. And then she goes back to Garrick to tell him about this, and and then it leads to this, essentially he bursts out what has been actually bothering him about all of this, and, and kind of what is setting, setting up these panic attacks, is that he feels like he is betraying his people because you know what he's what he's doing will lead to will lead to Cardassians dying and Cardassians being defeated and in the back of his mind he knows that he's been telling himself that oh well we're fighting the dominion and when we defeat the dominion Cardassia will be free but in the back of his mind he knows that the Cardassians will kind of fight to their last breath and that he's just going to keep helping what will essentially be the ultimate destruction of of his people mm-hmm. um and he feels incredibly guilty about that she tries to make him feel better and then yeah. it works this time yeah and this this is my other main problem with this episode is that then like and then everything's okay yeah like apparently all he needed to do was say that out loud and she i don't even remember what she said about that but that was all he needed and then now he's he's apparently fine and goes back to doing his intelligence work and is just kind of okay with with that now. And she feels so proud of herself for helping him have this breakthrough that she decides to stay at Deep Space Nine and be their counselor. And that's the end of the episode. Like, this is all with, like, the last five minutes of the episode, and then it's over. And it just seemed like a very sudden climax that didn't actually resolve as nicely as they claimed it did to me. Yeah. Well, I was saying, she also... The other reason she decides to stay is because... Uh, O'Brien and, o- and O'Brien's like one scene in the episode. He goes to Worf and is like, "Hey, you're kind of being a real meanie to Dax." And he's uh, and he's like, "Why well, don't?" He's like, "I don't really know." Yeah, he's he's being called meanie. Yeah, and um, he uh, it's kind of like you need to be nice to her. And he's like, "Well, I don't really know how to treat her. Like, it's not the same. She's not my wife." And he basically says, "Like, well, have you ever thought about how Jadzia would want you to treat?" The, the next version of Dax, and he said, well, no, and he's like, well, Dax knows, so why don't you ask Dax? And so then they kind of have it out, and he kind of promises that, like, hey, this is, like, super weird for me, but I'll try. And I think that, combined with the Garrick thing, is what makes her decide to stay. And, of course, there's, like, this whole thing where she had earlier kind of submitted her resignation from Starfleet because she felt so ineffectual, 
And then Cisco is like, well, I actually, I never submitted it. Yeah, she's like, she, so she brings him another letter that's her request to be reinstated into Starfleet. And he's like, well, I can't send this to Starfleet. And she's like, why not? He's like, because I never sent the first one and you never actually resigned. And so is that the, the Cisco scene that you liked? Uh, no, the Cisco scene I liked is there's there's a, I don't, I don't know if we mentioned this on the show, but I had said, uh, I think prior to this, that there was like one Cisco scene that I really enjoyed in this, which is earlier she's kind of talking to him and saying that it's really awkward around Worf and then uh he oh, says yeah. well I'll, I'll go talk to Worf and then she's like no 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 don't do that you Worf is intimidated by you and then he he bursts out laughing and he's like it's such like this genuine like he's so like kind of like surprised and like the idea that like Worf yeah and then he like really likes it the more he thinks about it yeah, he kind of like jokes around about like, well, I can talk to him. I do intimidate him, you know. Like, yeah. it, it's like a good, it's like a good bit uh, on his part. Um, yeah, I forgot about that. It's a really good part. I will say too, you know, I think we've kind of basically reached the end of the episode. They they promoted to lieutenant right away because they Cisco basically has convinced Starfleet that like, hey, what are you going to teach her as an ensign? Like, she already is like a, a thousand years old or whatever, and um, so they promote her right away. And there's they're having a party, and then uh, you know she kind of sees. Uh, well, that's so earlier in the in like the C plot, Worf had kind of physically threatened both Quark and Bashir for expressing interest in in her, and so then Quark offers her some food, and then she asks if Worf is around, and then he's like, "Oh wait, uh, never mind." And yeah, he takes like, the food away. Good question, and then like takes the food back. Yeah. But then she sees Worf in the corner, and Worf kind of like as a gesture of you know peace, like re- kind of raises the glass to her, you know, and that's and that's basically the end. Um, so this is all what happens in the episode, but, and I, I'm looking at my notes and I, I'm realizing now that I don't know why I did not write anything down about this. We have not talked about the craziest thing that's in this episode. And maybe one of the, one of the crazier things that's been in any episode of Star Trek, which is that there's just a scene in this where, uh, Bashir removes a feather that was put in Quark's ear. That was a feather. I did not know. I I could, I I thought it was just like a very large piece of wax that makes a lot more sense for it to be a feather though in context now yeah 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 this this is a feather but like he put the feather from his ear and they say it it was a tympanic tickle and Bashir says like what is and he's like you know what actually I don't want to know and it's like it's clearly a sex thing like like it's I know it's been a little while since we've we've had like a sex talk on Star Trek (laughs) segment but like it's it's well established on the show that like the ears are like an erogenous zone for Ferengi, uh, yeah. and like that's absolutely what happened is that someone basically stuck a. I mean, I don't even. I, I guess like I don't want to be. I don't want to work too blue because we're trying to keep this like mostly family friendly. So let's <laughs> let's uh, you you can you can kind of like piece together some of those details, but someone. Someone put a feather in his ear, and he really liked it. Um, and then he had to get it unstuck from his ear, which is like a pretty. Like, and it's just like, just like one little scene. Yeah, that happened. The, the, the episode goes on, but uh, yeah, that was wild. <laughs> a very, a very nuts, like just very quick thing too. Like, and then it's just like, all right, moving on. Like, we don't need to address yeah. this anymore. Um. Yeah, I, I'm just looking at some of my notes here. Uh, yeah, I, I had a, the only other other kind of like small issues I had. Um, so in one of the scenes where uh, where Ezra Dax is talking to Cisco, 
right when she quits and Cisco gets the most kind of angry at her and says, well, great. Why don't you, you know, as soon as things get difficult, you just like walk away. Why don't you just like go back to Trill and work on a farm or something like that? And I just couldn't help but think like, is he getting mad at her for doing like exactly what he did? Cause, and I mean, I don't know what happened in the, the two episodes between um, tears of the prophets and this one, but like the last time that, we at least saw him. He was, oh, right. he like went back to earth and was washing clams at his, I forgot about that. right? Like he's, he's doing exactly that. He like, as far as it was presented as he like quit Starfleet and just ran away from all of it because he couldn't deal with, with Jedzia dying. Yeah. I forgot about that, man. That, that was so rough. And maybe, maybe <laughs> that makes more sense if you see kind of the episodes where he decides to come back, but, I feel like it just is very soon after that for him to be acting very righteous with her about shirking her responsibility. I think it's kind of a put on too, though. Like I think he's trying to he's trying to get her to he can, like drive her to yeah yeah he's like kind of trash talking her to to get her to stay. But uh, yeah, that is true though. I, I yeah that's I forgot all about that. That's a good point. And the only other thing I I remember thinking of is like is working on a space station really the best place for somebody with crippling claustrophobia <laughs> right like yeah i feel like if you knew that that was something you had an issue with even if like he says he like has it, has had it under control for years and years but but i feel like it'd be like being a claustrophobic and being like you know what i'm gonna be i'm gonna be a submariner yeah uh, i don't know it's kind of like you know there are people who are allergic to cats and they still have a cat because like they yeah. love cats you know and they take medicine or it's, it's kind of like our old pal Malcolm, who's allergic to pineapple, but he has to—he <laughs> loves, loves pineapple, so he's going to so take—he's going to take some pineapple uh. medicine, <laughs> and then and then his physician will betray his confidence and just tell people that that he's taking pineapple medicine. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. We do we do. Maybe he just loves space. We just we do we do weird things for the things that we love. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, the only things that I had that we haven't mentioned so far is. There's one scene where Bashir is kind of thinking about wooing uh, Ezri, where she says, if Worf hadn't come along, it would have been you, which seems like a really kind of cruel thing to say to him. I feel like he'd probably be better off not knowing Yeah, that. like, we we were almost together, and then suddenly this Klingon showed up. It also seemed like it was a weird meta-commentary thing of, like, if Michael Dorn hadn't joined the show, that we would have paired Terry Farrell <laughs> up with, um, oh, what, what, is, what is his name? It's uh... like, uh... Sidigel Fedir, I think, is what his name is, right? On the, it's not how he's credited. Something. Uh, Alexander Sidig. Okay. Yes. No. His his actual name is Sidigel Tahir El Fadil El Sidig Abdurrahman Muhammad Ahmed Abdel Karim El Mahdi. Um, oh. But yeah, I think he's credited as Alexander Sidig. No, I think he is credited. I think he goes as. I think he's, it, isn't he credited as, as as Alexander Sidig now? But then he was. Yeah, he was. Oh, uh, was he sitting? He was uh, sitting El Fadil uh, on the show. Yeah, and then Alexander sitting at the at the start of the fourth season. That's what and he's married to Nana Visitor, or was from 1997 to 2001. Apparently, mm. man, it feels like if you're in Star Trek, that's a lifer. You know, you that's kind of that's your deal, which is not a bad not a bad life. I don't think. Um, so. Uh, that was like kind of a weird scene. And then um, the other thing I was going to say is there's this little thing where she's trying to order food from the replicator. And she says uh, she's like going to order a steak. And then she's like, well, wait, 
Tobin was a vegetarian. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense because A, now this is maybe, again, maybe this is an Ezri Dax thing, but it's like, Tobin is not even like the second to last host that she's had. So like she's been eating meat prior to this, but also replicators don't, use it's animal. not actual like, animal like, meat. it's not it's not it's not meat like, it's, like, really it's not real point. meat like her concern i think is doubly unfounded there but um i don't know that's just like bugging me so it's like why do i understand the science of star trek more than star trek does at this at this juncture but we really should have that's not how science works on yeah that'd be a good thing replicators would be a good thing to discuss there's no oh yeah that's right there's not it only briefly came up in this episode but they mentioned the whole like day night cycle very briefly, like someone mentioned setting their clocks to 26, open 26 hours, or they were leaving the holodeck open 26 hours a day, yeah. or something like that, that made me think of the conversations we've had before about how how time works when in a space station or different planets. My thought there, because I think they've mentioned it like once or twice on season one, too, and I believe what it is is just that Bejar has 26 hours in a day. Okay, um, so since... And so, since it's a space station orbiting base where they they follow their time. Yeah. The yep. So, um, but yeah, I, I do I do like that though. I like that just kind of a sort of oblique like acknowledgement of hey, this is you know, it's not weird to us. Like it's just like this is twenty six hours a day. Yeah, like it's just what our our idiom is. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah. So I don't know. I I think talking about this episode, I kind of liked it a little bit. I liked. I definitely liked parts of it, or I appreciated parts of it, but it still wasn't really getting me that that special star trek stuff i would say uh, either i don't know it was i'm really i'm trying to really i think we've been very like anti-ds9 on the show and i don't think that's necessarily been unwarranted but i also like i'm watching the show now and so i'm trying to kind of come around on it and get more used to it and like seeing the good in it and stuff and i think that probably did help me watch this episode but this again just kind of still wasn't exactly like my 100 percent like the kind of thing i like watching star trek for either Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I, I'm trying to find like the redemptive stuff, uh, in it though. And I do, I do think that like the kind of the trill, like how do we handle this stuff that everyone else is going through? I think it works a little bit less well for when she's going through it herself, but I think for the other characters to be going through it, I think, uh, yeah. makes a lot of sense. So, so, uh, next time. So I don't know if you have noticed Brady, but we have done a lot of Voyager and DS9 episodes in a row. I have noticed, in fact. <laughs> I believe this is, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This is our eighth episode in a row that is either Deep Space Nine or Voyager. Um, so uh, we are finally breaking that shriek uh, next uh, episode, which is going to be um, a Enterprise episode. Uh, Enterprise uh, Season 3, Episode 4, I believe. Um and it's called Twilight. Um, I did write down my note. I think that's the number. So if you, uh, the listener, are going to go watch that episode ahead of time, if season three, episode four is not called Twilight, don't watch that episode. Watch the one that's called Twilight because that's the one we're going to be watching. Just find something called Twilight and watch it. Yeah. But this is this will be the first episode of Enterprise we've seen outside of the first season. So I'm kind of yeah. excited to watch that. And I'm just excited to watch something other than I, I like DS9. Uh, or sorry, I like Voyager and I... I fought, like some episodes of DS9, but um, it's always nice to kind of mix it up a little bit. So, yeah. And uh, looking ahead on the schedule, we have a couple other little things coming up after that. There will be some changes there, too, which will be nice. So, yeah, yeah but um, 
that's about all we got today. Uh, we're on the Kaleidoscope Media Network, so you can check out our sister podcasts. Here's Johnny, which is a horror podcast. That's not how science works, which is like a science applied to pop culture podcast. Or Wizard Studies, which is a Harry Potter podcast. You can email us at uh, outofcontracts at gmail.com. You can go uh, talk to us on Twitter at contracts. You can visit our website at outofcontracts.podbean.com. Contracts is spelled, spelled uh, C-O-N-T-R-E-K-S. And uh, go ahead and if you, you know, wherever you're listening, uh, give us a star rating if you don't mind. Uh, we'd, we'd appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I think that's all we got. Well, till next time, we'll see you guys uh, on on the the Enterprise NX. That's right. Thanks, everybody.